Back everyone to this week's episode of Brawn and Brains. With me today, I have designer and founder of Vogel. Her name is Laura Vogel, so it's a little bit confusing when I was writing out the Google Doc for today. Um, she's really, really cool. I actually met Laura over Instagram because my friend Hannah from abroad went to school with her, and I realized Laura had an entire handbag collection that she designed. And I think that is actually insane. Like that is my Polly Pocket Barbie, like little girl dream of mine. So I had to get her on the podcast because I think that is the absolute coolest thing to be doing post-grad. So do you want to give us a little bit of a background? Yeah. So I grew up modeling in the United States and Mexico. And so that was sort of my initial exposure to fashion. And I always knew I wanted to, um, kind of have my own business, but I didn't really know what it would be. Like I always was so interested in entrepreneurship and like people having these different ideas and like not the nine to five. So I always had that like in the back of my head kind of that I always wanted to have my own business. Um, And then modeling really exposed me to like the fashion industry and like the business side of it, not just like what you see in the magazines and the models and the um, like beautiful designs, but all the inner workings that go on behind the scenes, which is like crazy you can literally get a job doing anything in that industry um and so then i started at cu to go to business school because my modeling career kind of pushed me towards like i want to be in business on the business side of things so i went to cu and got enrolled in the business school and then from there i got a lot of international exposure thank god (laughs) um and then when i was abroad i lived in milan italy um at like a business fashion type of university out there and I lived next to this motorcycle shop and they had connections and I ended up meeting this manufacturer kind of like 45 minutes north of Milan and he produces for Gucci and Furla and Versace, Valentino and a bunch of other brands and he was crazy like he was so nice but like crazy enough he was willing to take me on as a client even though I had literally no experience. Um, So Then I came back, it was, I met him like three days before I was supposed to come back. So then I came back to the U.S. and was kind of like buying bags on Amazon and ASOS that were similar to what I was thinking. And I was sending him drawings and kind of cutting up these bags and stuff. And we ended up coming up with a prototype. And now here we are. That's so awesome. So you said you began modeling in in the United States and Mexico. Are you from Colorado? Where does Mexico come to play in all this? I'm from Denver, and I was scouted when I was, like, 13 in a Walgreens. Um, And so I flew to Hollywood Hills. We did some shoots out there. And then I got signed with Wilhelmina Denver here. And kind of like all of high school, I was with them working a lot. And then I graduated high school a semester early, so the December of 2015, I graduated high school. And I got a contract in Mexico City. So I lived there when I was 17 and 18 and was modeling there. That's awesome. So growing up, did you always know that you wanted to do this side of business? Or did you think you wanted to be a designer? Or was modeling kind of like the thing that you saw doing for the rest of your life? Because I feel like you get exposed to a lot there. 
yeah, I got exposed to a lot and I got exposed to it really fast. Um, I was obsessed with modeling. I was like having premiere events for the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show. Like I was obsessed, even the models that are working now, like I can name all of them if I see them in a campaign. So I definitely thought that was where I was gonna go. And I had a lot of potential with it. Like um, Mexico City didn't have to be the end of the road for me, but I was just so exposed to the business side of it and the creative side of it. And like, I was that model backstage that was like talking to the designers and talking to the runway coordinators and stuff. Like, how'd you get here? Like, what's your career path? And I just never, like I was always interested in what the other people were doing, mm -hmm. but modeling like honestly, it was, the biggest gateway to me, like for me to that industry. Um, but yeah, I was modeling for a while and then business once I started realizing like how interesting these people are and how creative they are and just that whole side of the behind the scenes of what's really going on. Yeah, that's really, really awesome. So specifically, what did you study in business? Um, I was marketing and finance. Okay, that's really, really cool. So that was obviously probably coming really handy with running a business. Right? <laughs> yeah. Does anybody for sure. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I always actually, this is a total segue, but um, I was watching this YouTuber. Her name is Kelly Stamps, and she's just like relatively new. She's really interesting and quirky. Um, but she was kind of talking about how much like personal little accounting you have to do if you're freelancing or if you own your own business. Anybody else that works with you at Vogel or are you the uh, one-man show? I'm the one-man show. It's been wow. really I self-funded it. Um, I worked at Nordstrom for a while, so I had a lot of commission coming in from that. You can make really good money there if you're mm -hmm. good at it and make relationships with customers. So I was able to pick up a lot of hours um, senior year and pay for it. Um, so I bootstrapped the whole thing. I'm the one behind the Instagram, the email campaigns, the website, the shipping, the importing. So it's a lot going on. Yeah. So do you just like keep boxes of inventory in your home and then you have to mail out from there? Is that how that works? Oh my gosh, that seems so stressful. What's like the most difficult part you think? Um, the most difficult part, there's a, there's a few, but like the importing logistics is always mm -hmm. tough. And then it's so hard to break that barrier of like, okay, yeah, my friends and family are buying the product and a few people that find me on Instagram are buying it, but like that barrier of like people finding it on their own and like understanding the product and understanding the story. It's like that whole marketing thing and um, people need like nine impressions just to buy a normal product, but this is like semi-luxury. So it's going to take them time of like seeing it, understanding the messaging. So it's really just like, the messaging and awareness that honestly is expensive to run like those campaigns and stuff yeah um, but like getting that message across in the way that you want it to be like there's definitely confusions on my messaging sometimes that I get from customers and I'm like no 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 like that's not what I meant so just kind of that I would say is the hardest like the marketing and the like selling it but over time yeah yeah. I feel like that's also just a really difficult thing to possess in all, like you said, you have some sales experience, like at Nordstrom where you made commission. Yeah. But for me, um, I haven't had that much experience. I've had a little bit of experience in sales, but it was always really, really difficult for me. And I feel like you're selling something every single day. Cause if you go into a job interview, you're even selling yourself. You know what I mean? 
like you're always selling something in life. So I think it's a really good skill to work out and practice at. And especially with something like selling, like you said, semi-luxury products during a pandemic, like that obviously can't be easy, but I think you're doing an amazing job at it. It's funny that you say that that's the most difficult part because I feel like that's a part that I've seen your company really do amazing at. I saw your, I think there were recent like editorial photos of um, you and your bags. And I thought that was really, really cool. And I thought that was a really interesting way to market. So the magazine you were just in, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I was in Cherry Creek Fashion Magazine. It's kind of new, but the founder, her name is Esther and she is from the Caribbean. And then she went to London, a uh, university in London and went to like London Fashion Week. And she's worked for a lot of publications all over the world. So this magazine is new, but, um, Denver fashion is sort of like not really a scene. It's very up and coming right now. Like there's a lot of creatives moving into the city and there's a lot of like fashion markets happening and it's like it's happening, but it's not like written about. I mean, Aspen is more um, affluent in that area than we are even. So she's trying to like, she, she was like, I moved here and I was so surprised there was nobody covering this stuff. Like, and Cherry Creek is such a crowd of women that like value fashion and trends and style and beauty and wellness. So she's trying to bring that to Denver. So I just like kind of reached out to a bunch of publications to grow my presence in Denver since I'm a Denver brand. And she was like really helpful and willing to work with me. So first off, I think that's really, really cool that she decided to make her own magazine, just following up on that. I think that's something that's just extremely difficult to do. Um, and finding enough people that can kind of jump on the bandwagon for you to do that must be another just big pursuit kind of to take on. Recently, I spoke with a girl named Made. Made runs a blog, and now there are other people writing for her for her fashion blog. And it just seems like there's just so much that goes into it, and you really have to find like a niche. Like like you said, Denver fashion is up and coming, but there are really only a few people that really really value this. And it's really cool that you can find your niche and learn how to expand there. But I can see how hard it would be to kind of hit the ground running with it. Another thing that I think you do really, really awesome with marketing is you give bags to social media influencers and you have basically have them do free marketing for you, right? Is that how that works? Yeah. Okay, that is re- that's just such a smart idea. Do you want to talk a little bit about that for me? Yeah, so that's been kind of like a journey, honestly. Yeah. Because... Um, there is no like guideline for social media marketing. There's no like standard rates. There's no, there's like not a one size fits all for um, working with influencers. Like they're kind of just running their own business, which they are. And they're like really profiting off of that. Um, But at the beginning I was so like stingy about sending stuff out because I had paid for everything. And I was like, no, no, no. Like I can only send out two or three or something. Yeah. but it's been really cool to like kind of talk to because once the influencers will like reach out to me or I'll reach out to them and then they kind of realize that it's a one-man show and like I'm their age and running this business so then we start connecting and that's been really cool to like hear their stories and then they relate to the brand a little bit more um but so I send out free stuff and at the beginning I was like frantically reaching out to people um and I got Kaylin Miller keys from The Bachelor that's in March. Yeah. So she, I I like messaged a ton of people and she messaged me back, which is crazy. And she was like, hi, Laura. Yeah. Your bags are so gorgeous. I would love the black one. Um, like, thank you so much. So I sent her it and she since then has posted like 
three stories, a TikTok, three posts, a YouTube video about it. Like she literally had my bag in her YouTube video, just the bag and was like, this is my everyday bag. It's so cute. It fits everything. And two minutes of her talking about it. So that's, what's been awesome about the product is that it's kind of selling itself where like, I'll work with an influencer. Like I'll send them the bag. We'll agree on like one post or a story or something. But then these girls are just like wearing them all the time because they actually enjoy the product and they like it. So then I see my bags popping up in like all these posts all the time that so it's like earned media. I'm not paying for that. I'm not like, it's, I'm not selling that. That's literally just their enjoyment purely of the product. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's been really exciting. And it's also great because like, honestly, more influencers are reaching out to me than I am to them. So it just is like showing that these girls are like loving my product. And I had this amazing like model in New York, Monica, she posted yesterday and I put it on my story. And then this girl that follows me in New York was like, oh my God, I just saw her on the street and literally like recognized the Vogel bag. And I was like, yeah, like it's happening in New York. So <laughs> it's just really exciting. Um, And like there's certain girls that have like a million followers and then the like traffic and conversions from that is way less than somebody who has like 40,000. Like it's just, it depends on these girls, like how these girls have their engagement going. Yeah. Um, And like if they have that community or if they just have like followers and I've really been learning that like it's not the amount of followers that you need to look for. It's like the engagement and the community that these girls have built. And so um at first I was looking for like the biggest and the most famous or whatever with Kaylin and obviously she has huge engagement because people relate to her from the show Mm -hmm. um but there's girls that have like 20,000 or 40,000 that like when they post like it goes off on my website so it's really interesting to like see how certain followings and sizes are completely different depending on who the girl is yeah that is really really interesting I like how you phrase that like if they have a followers or following I like it a lot too that's something like I value I hate when I follow somebody that is either an influencer or somebody that's just really popular on social media and they post non-stop about products um sometimes like I get that feeling too with influencers that I've been here a lot like sometimes if like Lauren Elizabeth for example (laughs) I love her to death I watch her like I've loved her forever but she posts so many products that it's like overwhelming sometimes and I always wonder like how are those products doing because it's such an oversaturated kind of bit for her. And I feel like with people that have maybe less followers and talk about products a little bit less, I'm way more likely to end up really, really investing and going into the product um, if they post about something they like. Why did you decide to do handbags and wallets? And why not a different leather good? So that kind of happened when I was in Italy. I Mm -hmm. went to Milan last year, like not even thinking about starting a business at all. Like it wasn't even in my mind. But I was living there and every single like street corner in any town of Italy has a handbag little shop. Mm -hmm. And I was, it didn't even dawn on me until probably like April, like month four, but I was like, this cannot be that hard. Like all of these people have their own handbag shops. Like we're in Italy, like Italian leather. Um, So, and they were, and the ones in Milan were like beautiful handbags and Mm -hmm. they were like 70 80 euros too yeah um so I was so I got like intrigued with it and I was like hmm this is really interesting and I've always been such a fan of like Kate Spade that brand Mm -hmm. 
And there was always like a part of me that was like, one day I'm going to be that, like one day I'm going to be Kate Spade. Um, and that was happening. I was seeing these leather bags everywhere and, and I've never been like a handbag girl. Like I've never been like this accessory collector or anything. Yeah. And so just like being around it and exposed to it and like, there's a way in Europe that the women like have such an elevated style, even if they're wearing like sweats, Yeah, (laughs) they just make us look like horrible. Um, But they would, I always saw this little bag, the baguette bags that they were wearing there because first of all, they don't carry like these huge bags and they're digging through their stuff. Like that's just so not them. And they're on the Metro and stuff trying not to get pickpocketed. So it's right under their arm. It's the perfect size. And I just saw everyone wearing that and it always stood out to me. Mm -hmm. And then being around the bags all the time, I was like, this is what I need to do. And then the leather manufacturer kind of like fell into my lap. That's insane. Like that's, that's so true about them being on every corner as well. Like the amount that I never even thought about that. Like it can't be that hard. It's funny because my two favorite purses, my first designer purse ever that I will, I'm probably never going to get another one. Like again, in my entire life, but I got a Louis Vuitton because I just finished interning and I saved a bunch of money and then I worked the entire school year and I was abroad and I was like, I'm going to get a little like pushette bag, like those tiny, like the ones that go right over your shoulders, similar to the purses that you make um, on the Champs-Élysées in Paris. And I love that shape of bag because like, it's like you said, like you're not digging around in it. I feel like the style is just really, really elegant. Um, and it doesn't take away from your outfit and everything. And it really does. It, it's more of like an accessory, like it adds to your outfit more than it is the entire outfit, which I really, really like. And I'm not really a huge, like flashy person when it comes to fashion. Um, so I felt like that style of bag really fit my personality. And then my other favorite bag is actually one I got from Florence when I was really little and I've replaced it twice now. And it's literally the same bag and it's, um, Florence. We used to drive to Italy when I was, um, little cause growing up in Germany, it wasn't like that big of a long of a drive and I had a huge family. So flying was like out of the question. We literally got like, we rented like a van so we could all drive down to Italy and we would go through, um, these markets in Florence and they were just absolutely gorgeous and they would be kind of like pavilions and they it, the whole thing would just smell like leather which was absolutely amazing and they would have jackets and bags and oh my gosh it was like my favorite thing ever and it was a little black bag I still have it I mean it is a little bit a little black bag um and it, it's a crossbody bag but you can also like shorten the strap like you said to like not get pit pocketed so you can keep it kind of under your shoulder um and I absolutely love it and it ages so well like I've never had a bag even my, I have a Kate Spade bag and even my Kate Spade bag, I think has like kind of, it, it, it's a work bag. It's pretty big and it's worked out of shape and stuff. And my Italian leather one that I got for literally like 40 Euro has stood the test of time. Yep. You know what I mean? So quality is definitely there. Why do you think that um, Italian leather is so much of a, or is so much of a bigger industry than leather is in America? Um, I think that this is an interesting question. When I was a freshman in college, I took a class literally about made in Italy, like marketing that and branding mm-hmm. that. So then we went to Milan and met with like Parmigiano Reggiano. And, okay, um, that's awesome. Yeah, we met with like a bunch of companies, Armani, wow. um, Prosciutto di Parma, and everything was centered around like made in Italy. Yeah. So I don't even know if it's like the leather, but I mean, it is like so much better than um, American leather. Yeah. Um, but Italy just has this like deep rooted culture of like their quality in everything that they make. Like everything is a family business. Everything is tradition from hundreds of years ago that they've never changed. They don't value like 
making it as fast as they can. They value like the quality of it. So my mm -hmm. manufacturer like needs a month to make any of my orders because they're hand making everything. Um, so I don't know. And in America, it's just not marketed like that. Yeah. No, I think that's a great answer. Yeah. I also think made from Italy, like just putting that stamp on something or having something made in Italy kind of gives the consumer um, an idea of the quality of the product, like you said. Um, I can definitely see that. So did you, was this trip to Milan separate than your abroad trip? Yeah. Okay. That's really, really cool. And you said you studied abroad in Milan as well, right? You didn't study abroad in Florence or anything? I studied abroad in Milan. Yeah. I went okay. to the university. So it's like a it's a really high, high ranked, um, economic school in yeah. Europe. And then they have like a really, um, prestigious MBA in fashion management. So there's a lot of like, that's awesome. Elite business people that come out of Bocconi. Did you like it there? I loved so it. Could you yeah. see yourself going back and getting an MBA or do you think abroad was like yeah. a little slice for you? I've definitely thought about it. Um, especially yeah. with the climate right now, a lot of people mm -hmm. are like going to Europe for school, but I'm just so busy with Vogel, which is like such a blessing. Like I did not think it would pick up as fast as it did, especially yeah. with everything going on in the world. Um, so if I was over there, it would be really logistically tough to like make these client relationships with retailers mm -hmm. and get the shipments out and stuff. Yeah. So not the right timing for me, but I would definitely go back and like awesome. get later. So how long did it actually take to get your business up and running then? So you said you found out the idea when you were abroad spring semester, um, right? And yeah. in March is when you had someone from the bachelor market for you. Yeah. Was it then that it really picked up or what do, were you making sales before then you think? Um, I launched it on February 5th of 2020. So that was like okay. seven, six months ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had like the initial family and friends orders, which was like great. <laughs> but, um, and then I did one pop-up shop at my sorority at Boulder Kappa Kappa Gamma house. And honestly, I went into that with the lowest expectations because my bags were like $200 and everything else was like 35. Yeah. So, and there wasn't really any marketing that I was going to be there besides like a little blurb and an email. So mm -hmm. I didn't really know I was coming. My brand was so new. I like wasn't very involved in Kappa the year before. So people weren't really like sure who I was. So my goal was to sell like five bags and the yeah. show was 90 minutes. And in that 90 minutes, I sold 11 bags. Wow. So, and it was like crazy. Like I was blown away. And that was the first and only time that I've had customers be able to like touch the bags and try them on and look in the mirror and like unzip them and fit stuff in it. Like, cause everything else has been online, which is kind yeah. of bummer. Um, but that was like, okay, there's really something here. Like, cause that was the first time I had orders from like kind of strangers that didn't know me or know yeah. my brand. Um, so that was huge. And then March and April were pretty dead, to be honest. Like it was just me like on social media, trying to make content, trying to like figure out what the brand was going to look like, the aesthetic of it. So that was just like experimenting. Um, I definitely was getting orders and then I launched that pink bag on April 27th and that kind of took off. Like there was, there was a lot of, I didn't really under, like I didn't notice how many people were noticing the brand. And then I was marketing on my Instagram. Like I'm only going to have discounts for email subscribers. So make sure you subscribe to the email and you'll get the discount. And there were so many people I didn't know, like subscribing. Oh, that's awesome. Like, oh, there's actually people like interested. 
even if they don't buy it, like they're interested enough to like go on yeah. here and subscribe. Um, so that was like, that launch day was really successful. And then May, June and July were like amazing months. Like, I don't know what happened. I've just been really consistent. I think the key to everything is consistency, mm-hmm. but like May, June, July, I've like beaten myself every month on sales and my customers are from all over the country, which is great too from social media. Um, so it's really only been like six months, but wow. I'm now yeah. focusing on that. Um, so I have like wholesale models going, but it's been really fast and it's like. So I mean, are each, like, is each product been made to order? No. So I have like inventory that I have, like I do mm. orders, bulk orders at a time because it, it only makes sense for me to do bulk orders. Okay. Because then I have to ship it here and have customs. Okay. So if I can fit as much into that shipment, then it's like less per unit, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so it's not made to order, but like, for example, the black original bag is sold out, the one Caitlin has. Yeah. Emails all the time, like, when are you restocking that? And it, it doesn't financially make sense for me at this point to restock that bag, like just yeah. that, because I'm spending so much money on importing. Like, and that's what's frustrating is it, costs more for me to import it than it does for me to fly there with suitcases no way trip in italy and bring it back yeah have you had to do that i did that in january the first time no we were way. yeah Wait, so funny yeah so we like my dad and i went to italy literally we- bootstrapping <laughs> <There it is. laughs> um and i like had book we i was like well i'm gonna go get it because first of all i'm trying to like establish my relationship with this high-end art leather guy yeah Antonio so I'm like I'm gonna come if that's okay with you so that he takes me more seriously mm-hmm. and then after like we did a we like road trip through Tuscany like we went to oh, that's Milan. fun yeah like we made this whole trip out of it yeah all we did was pay for the extra checked bags you know yeah. and but- so like importing is just so much so they're not made to order but I do have to like order in advance because they take a month to make yeah oh wow that's really really cool though um and are they handmade they're completely handmade, yeah. That is so awesome. I've noticed, too, that you've kind of incorporated a little bit of a chain onto one of your bags. Where do you find um, – so your original design – let me preface this a little bit back, I guess. Your original design is the normal baguette bag, um, and the, uh, the strap is completely leather. Why did you decide to come out with a kind of a different design this soon into the um, start? So that was sort of, like, risky for me. Um, but – I don't know if you've seen this, but like a year ago, if I Googled shoulder bag, literally nothing came up. Like it was, nobody had one. It wasn't a thing. And now it's kind of like blown up, but it's still, it's either like by far shoulder bags or like rag and bone has one that looks nothing like mine. And then there's a lot of like um, lower end brands like ASOS and stuff making them. Mm -hmm. And we're going into the fall and I thought it would be so cute to like have a gold chain on a chunky sweater or a blazer stuff like that. And I have, and it was like risky for sure to do that when people are still getting acquainted with their original collection, but on launch day for the chain bags, like almost 30% of my customers were returning. So people were like ready for that, that had already purchased like an original bag. So I'm trying not to expand too quickly. Like there's definitely customers asking for other styles, but I really am trying to stay niche and like be that shoulder bag brand right now. So 
I go back and forth on like product expansion, but I don't want to move too fast and like confuse the customer on that like brand messaging either. No, that makes total sense. And I think you're totally right though with um, how the change would look in the winter. I like that you kind of thought about the different seasons and styles. You. What do you see the brand then doing in the future? I see you're really, really focused on the brand identity. Do you see yourself expanding outside of handbags or do you see yourself making staying in handbags and just making different designs? Um, I definitely see myself expanding out of handbags, but not for like a while. Okay. Um, you always see like these fashion brands start with something like the Louis Vuitton trunk, the Kate Spade bag. Um, and then after like years of establishment, they break out into like shoes or clothing or jewelry. So that's definitely like on my far down the road roadmap. Yeah. Um, but I think I would want to stick with handbags and just like make I love how chic they are and like minimalist and like it's not really that flashy the chains are a little more flashy but like it's not that flashy and so I'm trying to keep that fluidity throughout the line and expand mm-hmm. the like, totes later um cross bodies like how you were talking about the adjustable strap one that's like already kind of in the works um so just like handbags but very European very Italian very like minimalistic and versatile um and I really just want to like I want the bags to be like even if it's a different style like oh that's got to be a Vogel like just from the way yeah okay that's really really awesome I like to hear that and I think it's smart too to do a slow expansion like you said a lot of brands have had a lot of success in their history um with doing so and I guess it's really smart to follow your inspirations especially because you said Kate Spade's like a very big reason why you decided to jump into this so focusing on Boulder you said before you went to college you graduated a semester early and you were in Mexico City why did you decide to go to Boulder then um even though you just left there or just left Colorado yeah so I was really set on going out of state like I was like Mm -hmm leaving. I'm not going to be basic. Like I'm going to do all this stuff. Yeah. stuff. Um, so I'd applied for colleges all before going to Mexico. So okay. I applied to a bunch, I got into a handful of smaller ones in California. Um, and I applied to like a few in Washington and I think Illinois, I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and then CU, both my parents went to CU. So it was only CSCU. Oh my God, not CSU. <laughs> um, but I got accepted into the business school there the be- while I was, like, just starting in Mexico. So it was in the back of my mind that I, like, had that as an option. Mm-hmm. Um, and I – that Mexico was, like, the first time I ever really was, like, away from home and, like, with people from different countries and different states even. Mm-hmm. And I kind of – my entire life, like, took for granted Colorado. My dad would always be like, people fly here from all over the world to go to Aspen and Vail and like Breckenridge. And I was like, no, they don't. Like, it's so boring here. (laughs) Um, And so when I was in Mexico, people were like, you're from Colorado. Isn't that where the skiing is and the mountains and the hiking? And I was like, yeah, I guess. (laughs) And then I started realizing like how lucky I was to live there Mm -hmm. and like pay in-state tuition for like such a beautiful campus and the school in Boulder, it was when I was in Mexico, it was so important for me to continue this international like trajectory of my life. Yeah. And the CU business school is like so focused on international exposure and international business. So that was huge for me also. But it was basically just like being away from home and just getting that perspective of like, why would you leave? <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people are like that as well, um, where I've had so many friends that have like left for a semester 
and then ended up transferring just to go back home. Um, even there's, I have a really, really close friend that transferred or started off school at South Carolina and then ended up transferring to Penn State and she's from Pennsylvania. And it's kind of like, you don't know how good you have it until you, you're gone. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, Penn yeah. State's business school, it's called Smeal, is the same way. I didn't go to Smeal. Um, I wasn't in Smeal, excuse me, but they are super duper um, focused on international business and kind of creating connections outside of just Pennsylvania and just your little microcosm that you have in college which I think is so easy to stay in, especially at a school that's a state school, because a lot of people um, that go to these kind of schools are from the area, and your natural reaction isn't to have the international perspective or to meet people from other states. You definitely want to stick to what you know, and I think it's really cool how certain colleges and certain universities really, really push you to branch out and meet other people and study things that will kind of let you experience life to the fullest and a different way outside of your state. And I think that's, that's really, really awesome. Um, and I think a lot of schools, not that I don't like schools that um, promote doing things for your community, because I think that's really, really cool too. But I think when you're 18 years old and you spent your entire time living in one place and you go to your state school, it's really, really scary to break out. And sometimes that's not like a natural reaction. So I think support from universities definitely needed. <laughs> um, is the entrepreneurial community in Boulder really, really big? Or were you kind of one of the only people that had a business? Um, the entrepreneurial community in Boulder is huge, actually. Boulder mm -hmm. is like one of the biggest entrepreneurial hubs right now, but it's mainly in the tech space. Okay. So, uh, both my internships were at tech startups in college. I had a lot of friends that had like, um media companies tech ideas um but boulder is like huge for tech so i had a lot of connections in that space thankfully yeah. that like inspired me my internships really inspired me like the ceos and just seeing how you don't have to like succumb to this nine to five lifestyle if you really believe in something and it's gonna suck and it's gonna be hard but like i was literally watching these people like make it happen for themselves mm -hmm. um, so that was awesome, but it was hard like doing what I'm doing because everyone wanted to help me, but nobody knew how to like deal with shipping a physical product or importing a physical product or like shooting um, the product. Like it was just like product situations, like the physical um, aspect of it that is so different from tech and yeah. like placing it and like um, the import was, I could not, like it was so hard and nobody knew how to help me. And then like dealing with all the packaging logistics, like how I was going to design the packaging. It was just so different from what anyone else that I knew was doing, which was hard. And like fashion, people just don't really get it as much out yeah. here. Um, so yeah, like Boulder's huge for entrepreneurial stuff, but just not like fashion. Yeah, no, that makes sense. My friend Reed, who was on the first season of the podcast and may, might come back for the second. Um, we haven't decided yet. He's moving right now. Ha, um, dropped out of school, has a startup, seriously amazing. Started off as a laundry business. Now it's more of, um, so you know the closet and Clueless, right? Mm -hmm. How she can kind of like pick what her outfits are, like from an iPad kind of looking thing. He is starting to make an app um, that's that same idea. And it's pictures of clothing that um, I think, I believe it's pictures of clothing that either enter onto the app or maybe it's the laundry that you end up sending to the laundry company, um, the laundry business, excuse me. And it's super interesting. So that's that part's obviously tech. But then he also has things um, like product that I, I'm just not familiar in the space with 
at all whatsoever. So he'll send me like his app designs on Figma and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, like, I don't like the lines on this. So, like, there's stuff that I can definitely give input on. But he also showed me things like laundry bags. And I was like, what? Like, what? what do you mean a, like a laundry bag that like people literally fill up with laundry he was showing me pictures and stuff he's like which do you think would be better like I'm trying to like this is how much it takes to make and it was just so above my head like uh, how much I guess goes in consideration when you're dealing with a product um because yeah. for tech it's I, I don't want to say less messy it feels like it's confined all in one place and I have a lot of control and with product I feel like I just had like he just has so much less control like he's getting like someone else is making these bags, someone else is designing these bags, or like like at least the materials coming from somewhere else that isn't himself. Um, and as a control freak, I feel like that would be really, really difficult for me <laughs> um, to do. So good for you for being able to kind of deal with something that's a product. I can't even imagine. The one thing that I always, 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 always have problems with, um, my family's moved to and from Germany like, uh, like seven or nine times, like a ton. Like we've moved to and from internationally more times than I can even count. Hopefully we're here for good, but honestly I have no idea customs is the absolute worst like I have horror stories from customs like like I can't even begin to tell you is that really really difficult to do with shoulder bags like do they ever get stuck there because it's leather um so it took me a while to figure it out now I kind of have a pretty established relationship with this customs broker that files it for me on her end yeah not for her but like when I was going to Italy I had to like, I had nobody helping me. Like nobody knew how to do this. So I called DIA like on my lunch break at work. Yeah. I was like, hi, um, this is kind of random, but I'm flying in from Italy next week and I'm going to have like a few thousand dollars worth of handbags. Like what do I need to do? And so then he just like sent me a link to a few of the brokers and I just like went down the list and literally just started calling them. Um, and that's how I met the lady I work with now. But like, in, for the pink bags in April, I had to, like, you can't file it too early. Yeah. So I, I was, like, watching the tracking number, and mm-hmm. once they were flying from Brussels to um, Cincinnati, the Cincinnati hub, yeah. I was like, dialing the girl. I was like, they're on their way, they're on their way. Like, we have to call them, we have to file it. Um, because they can just, like, confiscate it if it's not yeah. filed. They can literally just take it. Um, I've had them held for a few days, which is okay. like, really scary. Yeah. Um, but I haven't had anything confiscated yet. Like, wood, but it is. Yeah. No, that's super good. Yeah. Uh, I just, it's so, that's just such a frustrating thing to go for moving. I can't imagine like investing all my money I made working like my college job, just yeah. getting confiscated in the board. Um, yeah. And especially now when traveling and I, I imagine shipping, it has to be impacted right now, right? Because of the pandemic um, or is shipping still like all good to go? It's pretty good to go. Honestly, yeah. I haven't had any issues with shipping. The only issue I've had with COVID and production right now is like when Milan was hit so hard with it. Yeah. They were on a full lockdown. Was mm-hmm. So the pink bag came like a month later than it was supposed to and the card holders because he was like literally locked in his house. Like you couldn't. Yeah. His, so his supplier is like in, I want to say like Venice or Verona, like it's east of him. Yeah. And he was like, I can't even, like, go get it. So there was a month stall of, like, production, which was nobody's fault. Um, but I haven't had any shipping issues yet, which is good. 
That's awesome. It's super hard for me to even imagine a country that is completely shut down, even to the point where things like, um, I guess, I don't know how many people are necessarily like it takes to make one handbag, but you'd think it's just like one person sitting in like an office making a handbag. And it's crazy to think like that happened in a country like Italy that is so, I mean, you interned there, you saw how fast paced it was. Like imagine all of those, like all those streets, just like a complete halt. Like it's, for me, it's just so difficult to wrap my brain around. Yeah, it's difficult to wrap your brain around. I mean, I have family. I was an au pair in Madrid, so I was getting their stories about it too Mm because they were locked down. But I do truthfully wish that we took it a little more seriously because now they're like living the life Mm -hmm. and still like skyrocketing in numbers. Exactly. Um, And it's kind of this like contrast of Europe to here and they respect their neighbors and they respect like if they're we have this mind, this individualist mindset of like, mm-hmm. well, it didn't happen to me, so I don't know. Yeah. It, it can happen to you, but not me. So then we just like are so selfish about it. And the Europeans, like without even a question, they're like, oh, my neighbor's old. They could get sick. I'm going to take precaution too. Yeah. And so it is like a beautiful thing over there that they were all able to do that and come together. And it's like mm-hmm. really divided us here, I think. Yeah. And our long-term impacts, obviously, are going to be a lot worse than Italy is. Um, Penn State even, like not to talk about college, like for the rest of my life, but Penn State, my brother was supposed to be a freshman this year. And my parents are like, well, you should probably stay home. So he's staying home. He's not attending campus, which I think is honestly just a good idea. Um, Penn State's literally in the middle of nowhere. And um, there is one hospital there, but I don't know if there's a COVID outbreak. I don't know if they'd be able to necessarily handle it. So he's staying home for the semester. Um, And we were like, well, at least like there's football. It'll be fine. Yeah. Well, the football like season got pushed to the spring and Penn State in the spring is like under snow like there's no way like very interesting it's gonna be really really interesting how football season happens but um just so many of my like the aspects of life are getting impacted like still getting impacted still now and you see other countries that are now like completely back to normal I even see in Germany a lot of my friends now are able to go to like restaurants and stuff and feel a little bit more comfortable and things like that and here it's like, I don't know, everything's just so shaky. Um, even Maryland has made a little bit, um, I believe it was two weeks ago on a Friday, made new rules. So even now when I walk my dog and stuff like that, they like suggest wearing a mask. I live in the suburbs of Baltimore. I'm nowhere near the city, but I still like, could pass people when I'm walking and I should wear a mask. And it's like, it is like, it, it's what month? Like August. This <laughs> still is getting bad in March. Like I wish... Like, I walk my dog, we walk our dogs every day. Like, what? Like come on. Like, you probably should have enforced this beforehand. But exactly. I guess that's just a rant. But, um, and I think everyone's kind of similarly on the same page. Like, oh, gosh, we should have taken it a lot more serious sooner. Um, yeah. Or at least I would like to think that everyone's on the same page. I tell myself that, yeah. But I think you know? a lot that we don't know about. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, it's really interesting. And it's awesome, though, that your company hasn't really felt the effects of the pandemic that you're still doing sales. Like you said, each month you're selling more and more. Um, I always wonder, do you think that's because we're online shopping more? Because I'm definitely online shopping more. Like my Amazon account is feeling it right now. Yeah, I definitely think it's that. And I think everybody is just on their phones, not as much as like April when we were literally locked in. But that was such a great time for me to just like push content because everybody so more marketing too yeah I have a lot of people like adding to cart and abandoning checkout which is great because that means they're like at least making it through part of the funnel 
Mm-hmm. Um, most of my purchases have been like on a discount or something, which I've noticed um, is really important to people right now. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of people, I have like so many messages of girls being like, I can't purchase it right now, but like, do you think this product will still be in stock in a few months? Like I'm just waiting for it to get better. So there's definitely like customers a little wary on that too. Yeah. Uh, especially like trying your money on a new brand right now is a little bit risky in my opinion. So I totally get it. Um, but I think it is like the online shopping and just people like seeing the brand more than they probably would have if they were working all day. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I can, I see that as well. Um, like you said, people are on their phones a lot more. Um, obviously finances right now probably aren't great for anyone. Like right now I'm unemployed. Um, not, <laughs> it's not too bad. I have to say, I feel very control of my own time, but like I still haven't got, n- gotten a job yet after college. Yeah. Um, so I'm definitely probably like, I don't really see myself spending money on a new brand right now, like you said. And I think that's really good that you know that about your customers. And I think it's really interesting that people are even messaging you being like, yeah, in a few months, like when things are back to normal, when I do have a job, like this is definitely something that I'm going to be investing in because yeah. I think a purse of like, that's as high quality um, as what you're selling. Like it really is like an investment piece. And mm-hmm. it's cool that people are thinking like so long-term, like, yeah, even in two months, this will be like, this will not only still be in style, but it'll still be something that I'm willing to like carry around and like put my money into, which I think speaks just really, really volumes for you and your brand. Um, I guess is my final question. If we want to like start, wrapping up here do you have any advice for people that either want to be designers or founders um yes I would say the biggest advice I ever got was from like my internship experience and just like the CEOs and stuff and you hear it all the time like everybody has an idea yeah he has something that they're going to start one day and that type of thing and it's like just do it like just start <laughs> it just yeah. try it um the most you can lose is like a few thousand dollars, which sounds like a lot and it is, but like, at, especially at this point in our lifetime, like we have all yeah. the rest of our life to earn that money back. Um, so it's just like starting it. Like I, yeah. I have so many friends that are like, oh, I have this idea too. Cause like they want to talk to me about businesses mm-hmm. um, and I'm like, okay, so what's your plan? Like, are you going to do something about that? Um, and I th- it's not even like a bad, it's, I'm not trying to like be, like pushy with them, but it's like, it's just try it, like just do it. So I think that's a huge um, piece of advice as well as like connecting with people in the same Mm -hmm. space as you that, or the space that you want to be. When I was launching it, I just like put out feelers to people that I knew from like childhood or like my friend's sister's friends or something like that, that I knew had a business. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to talk to you about it. And you'd be surprised like how many how everyone in this entrepreneurial community like wants to help each other and like wants to give you that hour long phone call about questions and answers. Um, so everyone's really helpful. You just have to start it. You have to have a plan. Um, and it's not going to happen like overnight. I remember when I launched it, I was like, why am I not sold out? (laughs) Because I was just like, I mean, obviously I'm joking, but like you just, it's yeah. kind of like all that time and money and effort in a way you want it. I, I like a long process, quick results. Like I can see that. Yeah. Like, and totally joking, but I was like, why am I not sold out? Yeah. Like, you have to, it takes yeah. so much time and you'll have so really true. good months and really bad months and good weeks and bad weeks. And mm-hmm. um, so just like consistency and confidence in what you're doing or selling or making. And then like, just do it. You just have to start. 
And even if it's slow for the first like four years, I mean, I listen to so many podcasts on like how I built this. Yes. Oh my gosh. I literally love that podcast so yeah. much. And nobody knows so what they're doing. Yeah. And yeah. nobody knows what they're doing. Yeah. Which is like, I listened to that for so long when I was in the design process. Mm-hmm. It was really like comforting because everyone was like, I had no idea what I was doing. I messed up so many times. But oh, yeah. This was nothing for like five years. Have you heard about the guy who did like the RX bars on that? The, have yeah, you heard I only listened okay. to the first part of it, but yeah. He, um, the person who made the RX bars was like literally making them. I think he said like in his mom's basement or something. It's, it's, if you're not into cursing, I wouldn't recommend that episode because he curses a lot in it, but it's, I think he gives such a candid, like candid, um, explanation of what it was really like starting a business and how he's, he's like, you're just in a constant state of figuring it out. And, um, those weren't his words like directly, but that's like pretty much some, he was, he was really just figuring it out as he went, not like he didn't have his idea, like perfected or like written in stone or anything it's almost like throwing things at a wall and seeing what sticks you know what I mean yeah so it's just like do it you'll figure it out as you'll go Uh nobody knows what they're doing yeah um that's good I think that's really good advice um even before I started this podcast I was talking to my friends at the beginning of senior year and it's like my when I was little my nickname was Jabberwocky like I love to talk to people (laughs) I'm always like if we're out, like, I'm always the first person, like, I'll be grilling someone in the corner. Like, I love meeting new people. I love talking. Um, when I went abroad, I did that three, I did a three city program. So I did three different cities um, for six weeks each. And I just met so many people in, like, during that time. And it was, like, super awesome, quick friendships. And it's, like, I wanted to make that, like, passion of mine into something. And it's, like, why not podcasting, obviously? Like, you can reach out to people you don't know and, like, grill them. And it's perfect. And normally people say yes. I haven't had anyone say no yet. And I think the best, like, advice I ever got was um, I was sitting down and I was having, like, a wine night with one of my friends. And she's like, well, if you don't do it, like, what happens? And I was like, oh, that's I, – I think that's even more depressing to think about than, um, like, starting and failing. Like, what happens if you don't – even don't begin? And it's, like, it's always going to be a what if. And who wants to live their life with a what if? You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's not for us. Exactly. Well, Seriously. Well, thank you so much for being on this episode. It was super nice having you. Um, you're my first person that has been a designer and a founder. Yeah. Setting a little precedent. <laughs> Seriously. Thank you so much. Well, have a great rest of your day. Um, enjoy the Colorado weather for me. It's super humid here. <laughs> um, and everybody, thank you so much for listening. Um, obviously, all of Laura's social media um, links will be listed in the bio. Her company is her personal and anything else, um, her LinkedIn, anything you want and anything that Laura wants to give out um, will be linked in the show notes. I highly recommend that you guys check those out. Um, my Instagram will also be in the show notes where I'll be tagging Laura and things um, and showing off some of her products. So if you want to check out that or if you have any comments, questions or concerns, please reach out to me at Braun and Brains, um, the Braun and Brains Instagram. Thanks so much. And I hope you guys come back again next week.